This is Claiming Your Voice with Janice Garrard. In this podcast, I feature guests with passionate stories of hope, inspiring others to claim their voice in a world where we can be bold together. Tonight, my guest is Emma Stevens. She is from the U.S. and a domestic adoptee from birth and has survived layers of trauma that have put her on multiple journeys. She developed the inner strength and courage to surmount the many struggles she faced. Her traumas were born from being an adoptee who struggled with being forced to wear an impossible mask of playing the part of the good adopted child. She believes strongly in adoptees finding their voice and discovering their truth to have a solid sense of self and to reclaim their identities. Through storytelling, Emma is dedicated to help redefine the narrative of adoption to include the entire complex truth. This memoir is Emma Stevens' first book. She has an undergraduate degree in journalism and has completed master's level coursework in psychology, specializing in marriage, family, and child counseling. She has two adult children and two cats cat children who she adores. The name of her first book is The Gathering Place. Welcome, Emma. Hi there, Jennies. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for doing this interview. I'm excited to hear your story. So go ahead. So you'd like me to just go ahead and jump in there. Well, um, it was really interesting. I've had, you know, my entire life to think about my story and I've written it down before, but it just wasn't very exciting. And it wasn't until I learned a method at um, in psychology called EMDR, and it was a process where my counselor helped me think of a very pleasant place to be and where I felt at peace and my brain was open to just think about, it's almost like meditation. And when I um, started doing that with my counselor and I thought of a pleasant place, it was the gathering place. And so then I started thinking, what if I put all the facts that I've lived throughout my life in through this uh, structure of EMDR and be at this pleasant place and tell my story that way? And I think that it just kind of flowed with me. It felt good to me. And I'm hoping others like reading it, too. Well, I've read your book and I can tell you that it is, it's a very good read. So the idea of the gathering place isn't a literal place, but it is a place uh, that you hold within your mind, within your soul. Okay. Yes. I I often talk about it being in my mind's eye, which is Mm -hmm. our third eye, if you're a yoga fan, and it's just a place where you can go in, you know, virtual, virtually, um, but no, it wasn't an actual down the street across from the park or anything like that but in my mind it's very real because you know your your mind is such a powerful tool and uh, to me the the story just unfolded when I started putting my whole story through that structure and I know that you had mentioned that you had gone through was it alcoholism yes yeah um, I came from a family that alcohol was very accepted and in fact it was kind of expected because it was just every family event was, that was the thing you did. Really never knew I had a choice to say, no, thank you. And so by the time I got to college and then years after that, I developed a a drinking problem. And I think it's for a lot of us, and I could say a lot of adoptees, that it's the easiest substance to overuse, abuse, to get away from our pain. And it wasn't until I was able to get sober that um, I was able to really unravel all my adoption angst and just figuring out a lot of the things of why I was in relationships I was in, 
um, why I had done certain things in my, my childhood. Uh, like in the book, I talk about following a crossing guard at a school because she looked like a mother figure to me. And I thought, wow, I want to know this woman. And I didn't need to go across the street with a crosswalk. I lived on the same side of the street, but I only went across the street with a crosswalk lady because I wanted, I thought she could be my mother. And it ended up where I was on the other side of the street and I didn't know how to get home. And then you'll have to read the book to find out how I'm in, you know, great panic and peril to figure out how to get home from there. But it was all due to certain things where adoption has colored my life and I've done certain things and I only see it now as I look back and I look at those things and have figured it out. That's interesting. I think that sometimes adopted people, they don't realize that the adoption trauma has affected them so deeply and affected the choices that they may have made along the way. So my question was about the alcoholism. Do you feel that even though alcohol was abundant in your home, then do you feel that the adoption issues helped to fuel the abuse of alcohol later on? Um, I think I would just say again, I was using it to escape my feelings and escape having to sit in that pain. And then after I became sober, I realized and I was, was I learned that you have to sit in that pain and, and um, not reach for something to cover it up, because as long as you cover it up, then you stay in your denial. I think I had to break through that denial and face my one of the things was adoption and I was able to look at it and maybe dismantle it and use it more for uh, my benefit than to hinder me in my life. Well, I'm kind of grateful actually that I became an alcoholic. It sounds crazy, but if I thought I needed something that dramatic to drink, to bring me to my knees and have, I had no choice other than to figure things out. So by figuring things out was through that process of recovering from alcoholism. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because if it hadn't been that dramatic, I probably would have just kept on, you know, low grade, um, just drinking for decade after decade. If it didn't bring me to a fork in the road, I had to get to that fork in the road of choosing which path I was going to take. Let's go back to that idea of the EMDR therapy. Maybe people listening to this have heard of it. And and for those who haven't, can you describe what that process is like? It is a process that is based on stimulating your right brain and left brain and to tap into old memories, maybe implicit memories from your past and integrate them with present day and where you may be telling yourself this old story of I'm an unwanted baby. You know, that could be your core belief about yourself. And then your other side is knowing that, no, hey, wait a minute, I I do have value, I do have worth. And it's a way to integrate those two together and come up with a new story of what kind of change those um, pathways instead of just living in that broken story. Okay, and so you're changing that negative thought pattern then and finding the positiveness. Right. Exactly. And through that process, I was able to see my story just through that whole process of connecting my right brain and left brain. And it's kind of woven throughout my story because I have certain parts of me that show up that are me, but there may be their earlier me. 
and we have discussions and conversations. And through those, it's like me reparenting me. And I'm able to weave the rest of my story through that, through all those conversations. That sounds like it would be a very powerful exercise, but maybe painful at the same time. You have to think about it to be able to move forward. And so, yeah, that can be painful. And I'll tell you the most painful one was recording it on Audible, because when you speak your story, that's another whole level from uh, writing your story down. And when I read my story, I got quite emotional of one thing was the studio producer was listening to me and I was thinking, oh, wow, I just am about to say something very intimate about my life. And he's right here with me. And it was quite dramatic and emotional, but very therapeutic. Your book was very moving to me when I read it. And um, without giving too much away, <laughs> but to mention the parts of you at different ages. Mm -hmm. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Well, that was one of the ways that I really got connected with myself is because I had to define those parts and I had to think about, you know, I named them and I, I named them for specific reasons. So I got to know them and that's all part of our work is to get to know our different parts of ourselves that all are all us, right? They're all us, but you have to make friends with the part that maybe, maybe you don't especially like about yourself, but all the parts are welcome. And um, yeah, there are certain parts that I really, really cherish because it's how I was able to live through some emotional, psychological, and physical abuse throughout my life in my childhood. So to our listeners out there who may have lived through the adoption experience that wasn't so great, what would be some words that you would say to them? Oh, um, don't be afraid to be your true self. And love means that someone that loves you wants your freedom. And if someone's asking you to be anyone who you are, well, first of all, it's not going to work. And second of all, it's just going to bring you pain and sadness and grief. And um, you have to learn early on to just draw that uh, line in the sand and say, I'm me and not be apologetic. And that's, that's finding boundaries, right? And when I was growing up, I didn't know I had a right to have boundaries. Now I do. Um, it's hard for me now to not be apologetic about drawing boundaries. So I'm working on that a lot, the draw a boundary, but also not be apologetic about it and hold it firm. Do you have a hard time telling people no when it comes to them asking you to do things, to overcommit your schedule? Not to most people, but to people that have an emotional hook in me, yes. How are you navigating that? I am less reactive. I take that pause and I do sort of a body scan of where I feel it, my body, and try to stay true to myself instead of trying to be a people pleaser or perfectionist or just being, I often feel responsible for everything. And that's not true. And so if I take that pause and be, um, you know, look at it more re realistically, and ask myself, is this true? Do I need to be responsible for this? So I'm being very intentional about trying to hold those boundaries. So when you were a child growing up, were, did you feel like you were responsible for how people felt in your home? Definitely. I mean, I, to the, all the way to the point where I felt apologetic of not being their biological child. And that's just really unfair to place on 
a child to fix, you know, the fact that you couldn't have your biological children or that they're not who you want them to be. And I could never live up to that, but I sure tried. I tried to be that good adoptee and I would dance as fast as I could just to be pleasing. And I know, I know what that all stems from now, but um, back then I feel like I was just trying to make sure that I wasn't taken back to the agency. You said that you were adopted at birth. Yes, three months. At three months. Yeah. You wanted to be accepted so that you weren't taken back to the agency. Were you ever threatened with that? Um, We're going to take you back if you don't behave in a certain way. Um, It wasn't to the adoption agency, uh, but it was to when I hit puberty, it was we're going to take you to a wayward school for girls so you don't end up like your um, birth mother. And so that would be another thing is they painted my birth family of wherever I came from as being inferior and being something to not identify with and that shouldn't I feel lucky that now I'm with other people with my adoptive parents. And I don't think that that sends a good message to an adopted child to think that, well, wow, I guess my, I didn't come from a good place. So am I good? I must be bad. There's a lot of, you know, hidden messages that are given, but yeah, I was threatened with a wayward girls school and I wasn't really a bad kid at all. From hearing that, those questions come up about, am I good or am I bad? But I think that message is pretty clear to us then that I must be pretty bad if they're going to send me away or that they don't want me to end up like my biological family, right? which takes years (laughs) to relearn that those are untruths. Right. Because we're just forming our identity and we base it off false information. It almost seems then that the people who adopt children who say such comments, does that mean that in their heart of hearts, they believe adoption is bad? No, I think they thought they were doing a, are you asking about my adoptive parents of what they thought? I think they thought they were doing an excellent thing of being a savior and you would have ended up in the gutter if it hadn't been for us that they felt that they were being a savior to you. And since this is an audio podcast, I would mention that Emma is Caucasian and that from the Korean adoptee community or people of color community who are adopted are oftentimes a little upset and they have every right to be about the white savior complex where they feel like the white family comes in and saves them. So I think that that's interesting that you would mention the word savior and the color of your parents and yourself are the same. Yes. Yeah. And and I would, I always recognize that what you're just speaking of is a whole nother layer of adoption, of losing a country, of losing a culture. I can't even imagine how deep that goes. I know mine goes deep and yours and others go deeper. So I have a a great respect for um, that is another whole layer that others, other adoptees have gone through. I know my pain is deep, but others like late discovery adoptees and, um, you know, losing a country, losing a culture that that cuts even deeper than I can imagine. I would agree with that. I try to learn as much as I can about that too, just to 
you know, be aware of all the different complexities of adoption. There's so many. And I think that we're, as we go along, we find out that the other complexities, that there's a lot more there than what meets the eye and even more than what we've been able to talk about so far, like even in literature, um, the adoption literature and in research. Your book though, the journey to writing your book, can you speak a little bit about that? Well, when, when uh, I guess I have to bring the pandemic into it <laughs> because it gave me the time to think about things. Think, and, and I was at a certain point in my life where I had written down my story, but it was just facts. It read like a diary. And so it just seemed once I got to this point of having a structure or a framework of how to weave my story around the structure, it was like a freight train within me. I couldn't control it. It just wrote itself. And I wrote that in probably a year. It it didn't take any time at all. And all the time I'm writing it, it just felt right. It just felt right. Um, And that's the best I could explain it is that I don't know. It just came right out of me. It's a wonderful book. And so I recommend to our readers to go find it on Amazon, right? And you said it's on Audible. And Kindle. Very good. Is there anything else that you would like to say to our listeners? I, I would just, I'm a big proponent for counseling. There's not the stigma anymore of, you know, I, I have two counselors and I'm not embarrassed to say it. And it's just to be more self-reflective of yourself. I think you're going to make, um, get farther on your journey faster with counseling, with a good, reputable counselor. I would say that that is wise advice. Mm-hmm. Wise advice, because the journey that we take in life as adoptees, as non-adoptees, we're not meant to be alone. It was so lovely to find the community uh, when, you know, I looked about six years ago and I found all these adoptee groups on Facebook and Instagram and now TikTok and Twitter. And I never realized what a huge community we have. <laughs> and it, it feels really good. I think that's a lot of healing is coming through us gathering together podcasts like yours you know, just it's doing enormous amount of good for us to tell our stories to each other and to say, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. And to know that we me aren't too. alone. I know what you mean. I felt that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The Gathering Place by Emma Stevens. I recommend for listeners to go check it out. Miss Stevens, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm.